So this morning we're continuing our series, Truth and Power. And if you're new, if you're just joining with us, we have been talking about the concept of justice. And justice, um, when we talk about biblical justice and what does the Bible have to say about this topic of justice, it's way more than courts and rules and laws and systems of government. It's much more about a relational concept founded on the idea that, that God created every human being, every person of equal worth, of equal value, and that every person is worthy of being treated with dignity and with fairness. And when that doesn't happen, what we see through the story of scripture is that, is that God raises people up to speak out the truth, to say that this is not the way that things should be, and to use their power uh, to act against or to speak against injustice wherever they find it. And of course, there are lots of stories about, about ways this has happened. The prophets, many prophets in the Old Testament, there, there are stories in the New Testament about, about how people have stood up and spoken against injustice. We've been following a little bit through the book of Amos, which tells us a story of one such man. And, uh, and as we go through this series, what we're trying to do is we're listening to modern day prophets, people who have significantly committed their life in a way to seeking or pursuing justice. And I'm so excited for the three, three guests that we get to talk about, uh, talk with today and to learn from about what they're doing uh, in the world because they are part of our NDC church family. Uh, Tom Curcio has been attending New, New Denver Church for a number of years and has traveled extensively in Central America. A few years ago, he actually started leading out on our partnership uh, with uh, Pastor Antonio in Guatemala and uh, has been helping us with, um, with the logistics and leadership of the, the, the partnership trips that we do down there every year. And then last year, uh, Tom and Brianne Mashek actually started a nonprofit called Kinship Market, uh, working with artisans to try and sell goods from Guatemala here in the States. And, uh, and so that's a new endeavor for him. And then uh, there's Rachel and Jesse Geiger, um, a dear couple, dear friends of ours who've been a part of New Denver Church uh, for a number of years, but for the last four years have been living in Uganda, uh, working in renewable energy. Jesse is a, an engineer uh, who works with uh, a solar company to provide small-scale solar uh, to people in remote villages, and uh, Rachel has been working with Wet Consulting, which is a uh, drilling company that drills well so that people can have clean water. So we're going to talk to them today about what justice looks like when you cross the United States border, when you go out into international contexts. We're going to learn from their experience. So join me as we welcome them to the stage this morning. There you go. You can hold that. Yeah, hold that first. So uh, just begin, I gave you a little bit of a brief bio, but I'd love to give just maybe a, a quick 30 seconds. What are you guys working on these days? How would you, what's your elevator pitch for like, what do you do? <laughs> what is it you do, Tom? Well, with Kinship, are we on? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Oh, Ooh. yeah. A little too much bass. Sorry, sorry about that. Well, um, <laughs> what, what we're working on right now is um, we uh, um, have established relationships with a number of artisans uh, in and around uh, Lake Atadlan near Panahachel. And um, what we're working on now is, is uh, bringing those products and those, those uh, items to market. So a lot of our focus is here right now in, in trying to get the, uh, the business established and uh, get things rolling so we can then contribute back to. So, but we like to say our elevator speeches, our jobs create their jobs. So we like to, to uh, tell the story of how we can <laughs> create sustainable economies, local economies uh, in, in around these small villages for the people of Guatemala by um, uh, utilizing their gifts and talents and sharing our resources with their gifts and talents and bringing them here and, uh, and then to give back uh, uh, as we go forward. Yeah. Team Geiger, how about you guys? What are you, what are you working on these days? 
That's a good elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, for Wet Consulting, which is um, a group that I co-founded, um, our main focus is using a business model to provide opportunities for villages to um, purchase their own wells. Um, so right now what we're working on is more of the long-term plan or, or what I call my exit strategy. Um, <laughs> and so training people to take my job. Um, and so raising up um, Ugandans who can run this, the group that I'm running. Yeah. So. Great. So as Stephen mentioned, I... Um, working in running a uh, solar business. So the company focuses on providing small-scale solar lighting to villages and rural areas. And we also focus on designing large-scale systems for schools, hospitals, clinics, um, other expats, missionaries out in the field. And so, yeah, in the coming, in the coming months and years, I'll be training a, uh, a Ugandan engineer to replace me because right now that's the only thing that... Um, it's kind of missing from, from my team. Yeah. You know, and all of you guys, so sometimes I think we can look at people who do what you guys do, and there's a sense of intimidation of, wow, I, c I could never go and live in Uganda. I could never go and take trips and start a, a nonprofit that works in Central America. Obviously, that didn't just start last week. This has been a long journey. Um, and as we look at the book of Amos, it began for Amos by seeing injustice, by seeing something that needed to be done and then stepping out into it. Where did that begin for each of you? Where did the, the process, this process of pursuing justice in an international context begin? Mm. For me, it, it began, uh, I want to say October of 2014, I took a, a mission trip with my brother's church out of uh, Nashville uh, with a group called Heart to Honduras. And we were in a little town called Santa Rita in Honduras. And when we were there, uh, what I saw broke my heart. Uh, what I saw children uh, living in... Uh, basically, um, mud huts, so to speak. Some had stone, um, you know, stone walls, but several didn't have floors. Trash was everywhere. The school, uh, we were working with a school. They were trying to put a floor into the school. And um, what it was, the, the, the Hondurans had built four walls, but yet they didn't level it off first. So we came in with literally a truckload, I mean, a dump truckload of dirt and loaded hundreds and hundreds of of a wheelbarrow full of dirt into the uh, into the school at the level of floor and then concrete. It was quite an undertaking. But during that time, what we saw was these children of the village were all there with these huge smiles on their face and um, uh, just wanting to be a part of what we were doing and just sharing in the experience and the joy, even though they had nothing, uh, was something that was just, one, broke my heart, but two, was super inspiring. When I came back from that trip, I began just diving into everything I could do or everything I could find out about poverty alleviation, um, what does it mean to, uh, to do this work, to, could I do this, is, is, what, what is this resonating inside of me? And so, of course, I had to take another trip, so that's how I really found out what was going on. When I went down there, God said to me, you need to be doing this, and I really didn't question it. And so, as I was telling Rachel earlier, this just makes sense, I don't have any question in my mind. So. Um, but um, one person stood out to me that really inspired me um, and, uh, and was introduced to by Mr. Redden. That was uh, Father Greg Boyle, who runs Homeboy Industries out in Los Angeles. And he always talked about walking with those on the margins, walking with those on the outside, walking in kinship with those on the margins. And um, so that's really what was inspiring to me and just led me uh, to, to continue on. And as I did, doors opened. Uh, and then about uh, Easter of 2018, Brianne comes to me and says, uh, we have to talk. And I said, 
yes, we do. Okay, <laughs> let's talk. So we had a cup of coffee, and from that, uh, Kinship Market was born. So. Okay. How about you guys? How did it start for you? What did you see that um, motivated you to action? Yeah, uh, I was silly lucky in that I had a family member who had a residence in uh, the Caribbean, and so I grew up going there regularly, and there was a man who worked there who was Haitian, and I grew up knowing him, and he was a good friend. He worked really hard. Um, and then when I was in high school, we went to visit his house, um, and I had no idea how he'd been living my whole life. And it was a really modest home, and he was raising pigs that he fed slop out of from coffins that would wash up during storms. And it, it was the first time that I realized you can work really hard and still be in poverty. And in America, that's not what we're taught, even though obviously it's true here too. Um, and so it really opened my eyes to, it's not, it's just not fair. Some of this stuff's just not right. Um, and so after that, I just saw it everywhere. So when, once I knew someone and saw how it played out in their life, then it, you just started seeing it all over the place. Yeah. Um, so in getting into missions ended up being a longer route, but um, just seeing the need. And when I became a Christian, I felt called to overseas work. And some missionaries said, you know, so, so we need water. And I was like, I can do that. Um, so yeah, just opening up to need in general and then finding my niche. So. Okay. Jesse, how about you? Yeah, so in middle school, I had gone on a few mission trips, um, did some service work here in Denver, and uh, it kind of opened my eyes to the idea of um, people have needs. Um, and right before college, I ended up... <laughs> my story's not as awesome. Um, my, <laughs> right before college, I, I was reading a National Geographic um, <laughs> at, at a hair salon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, they, they were talking about the world wa clean water crisis. And so I remember reading this really interesting article. And at the end of that, there's just something in my brain that just said, I could do that. Like, I can fix this. And so that I was going to go to business school. Um, and I ended up just changing everything and going to an engineering school and pursuing that for the purpose of uh, working on the clean water crisis. Yeah. So uh, this is a short interview, so we're just going to jump right into the deep end. Because the next question I want to ask you guys about, and we've all three, we've talked about this multiple times. I think when it comes to you working internationally, when you travel and you see things that are such stark differences to what we're used to, um, you know, you're used to sort of this idea that the, the American work ethic pays off, that people can improve their circumstances. But when you go overseas, you begin to see that 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 equity is not distributed talent, and intelligence is distributed equally, but opportunity is not. And so uh, often we're compelled by what we see and we jump in. Talk about the mistakes that you've seen made, that you've made personally, uh, as it relates to helping, you're trying to help, trying to meet a need, and inadvertently making things worse in the process. So, <laughs> anybody, who wants to, whoever wants to start, jump in. Well, I think... Um what, what, come up, what comes up for me when I would think about mistakes we've made, one is, is really getting in a hurry, um, being a little bit too forthcoming with great super ideas from the states and not realizing impinge, that we were impinging on the dignity and the skill set and the beauty of their culture, um, thinking that uh, really they th thinking that they think like I think. And um, which is uh, not necessarily the case, as I've learned the hard way. So um, it's been sometimes, you know, two steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, three steps back. But um, uh, so I've had to learn to step back from this a little bit, let God lead the way, 
and, and just keep moving forward and, and uh, step by step and things start to unfold. Relationships start to, to develop, new people start to appear. And so, um, but the biggest mistake for me has just been being, ultimately being impatient with the whole process. Yeah, yeah. And you guys living in Africa, I mean, the stories are legendary about the amount of money that's been dumped into Africa and, and yet these problems still persist. What, what have you guys seen where people have come with good intentions but inadvertently made things worse in the process? Yeah. The list is a bit endless, but um, yeah. related to water, a lot of what I've seen is people coming in um, with money, wanting to help, so they're already thinking they're above the situation and the people that they're you know, it's supposed to be benefiting from this. Um, and then they build a well and then they leave. And so there's no maintenance project. Maybe the well's not even needed. Um, in my company, the two times we've been hired by NGOs, both times there was a, a scam going on. One time the well wasn't needed at all. There was one kind of hidden behind a tree that they weren't telling them about. Um, and then the other time, the man who was managing it was taking a huge cut and not telling the guy. Um, and I just can't list the number of times. That's normal. That's not rare. That's the majority in that situation. Um, and so when you, when you see that and you see how far apart the... Um, when you see how the distance relationally between the person who thinks they're helping, which is like a very dangerous word, really. It should be partnering. Um, and the beneficiary, who should once again be the other partner. Um, the farther apart that relationship is, the harder it is to really do effective... Um, change for that community. Uh, so when people swoop in, do something huge, swoop out, it's just so damaging. And then in a situation like Uganda, where there's a lot of people who come and do that, people start to expect it. So another thing we've seen is people that come in and do medical missions trips, for examples. Um, for example, this is a pretty sad one. Um, people will avoid going to the doctor when they need to because they know a free clinic is coming up, and that can be fatal. Um, so people come thinking they're helping and they're actually making things much worse um, and it prevents clinics from being sustainable. We've seen clinics close because people come in doing these trips. That doesn't mean that trips are bad or that short-term trips overall are bad. It just means you can't have the swoop in, I'm doing everything and swoop out. Yeah. Um, but avoiding that is not as easy sometimes as it sounds. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned since um, going to Uganda is that I've kind of in line with what Rachel has said, that we, we can't be focused on um, the problem. Like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to solve this problem. Um, and my attitude around that has shifted a lot more towards I am going to go in and work with my guys, with my, my employees, and I'm going to support them, and they are my ministry. And through them, I hope some change happens, but I want to develop a relationship with them and they get to make more decisions about driving the company and driving um, how they think, how they would solve these problems. Yeah, I, you know, I think you've got a great example, Jesse. I love the shift that took place in your company. You guys originally went with a missions organization that started Lumi as a business as mission. So this, this conglomeration of business and mission, which is really good at neither. But... Um, <laughs> In that process, you guys had a business model that was in place about how you were going to operate, and, and the company went bankrupt. You, you ran out of money. Talk about yeah. what your guys said when that <laughs> happened. Yeah, so, um, so when the company shut down, that was in 2017. Um, to be fair, you weren't the CEO. I was not the CEO at the time. <laughs> at the time. Don't, don't blame yeah. me. Um, so at the time um, when the company was shutting down, Rachel and I um, had this really great opportunity. So the 
company was shutting down early 2017, and so we we just really wanted to know what our like we wanted to maintain relationship with our um, the, our employees, our friends that we've um, been making friends with for a couple of years, and so we went and asked them like, okay, so how would you have done this? And they're like, oh, just totally differently. Yeah, I just would have done it totally differently. <laughs> and it was like, okay, please tell me more. And so we ended up taking a lot of notes about that. Um, just the ways we would approach customers, the way we would service customers, um, and we can tell you more about that later, about how the company works. But the, um, the coolest thing was all these guys, you know, they, they told us all these lessons learned, and the company closed, and we didn't think anyone, anything was going to happen with the company. Um, very, very short story is that the company restarted, and um, I took over. We decided to reopen, and God really put on my heart to restart the small-scale solar product sales. And I brought all the guys back, and we, you know, basically said, "Okay, like I'm, I'm supporting you, and um, let's make the company your way." Yeah. You guys have already mentioned the other big topic I think you bump into, and all of you have encountered it, is the systemic injustice, often the way that injustice becomes woven into the way of life, uh, the, the way of the, the government is done. Um, and I was reading through Amos this week. There's a verse, uh, and it says this. Uh, Amos is looking at Israel, and he says, There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times for the times or evil. And, and Amos is speaking about in his own time this kind of corruption that becomes just how things get done. How have you guys seen that in, in the contexts where you're working? And how have you um, worked through it, in it, around it? Talk a little bit about your experience of those things. The, the injustice in Guatemala and all through Central America are pretty profound, actually, when you stop and sit back and look at it. But um, it relates to healthcare, education, and education was something that has resonated with us because the, the number of, of, of students, especially in the Western Highlands of Guatemala, who don't have access to any sort of comprehensive education is staggering. And uh, you know, we're talking about you know, five, six million young students that, who don't have access to what we consider regular education. And uh, so, in, in the government, when you look on their website of the Ministry of Education in Guatemala, it looks like they've got some of the finest uh, education systems set up, and it's very organized, but it's nothing short of chaos. And teachers not showing up for work or leaving because they can't get paid enough, whatever. But uh, it, it, there, there are a number of problems. And in healthcare, a quick example of things that, and the government hospitals there, we, uh, I was, when I was staying with a family down there studying uh, Spanish, during that period, there was a, an upheaval. It was right before the, the presidential election. And um, people would go to the hospital, and if you had to have an injection or if you needed any sort of supplies, your family had to go buy those supplies and bring them back to the hospital so then they could be administered by the doctor of the sort. There's no real insurance system set up there. There's no real... Um, banking system, so there's a lot of injustices as it relates to money, so that's where we get corruption and payoffs and kickbacks and bribes. And um, it, it's really a, it's an unfortunate thing. And, and so for myself, 
it's embracing that, not letting that overwhelm me, consume me, and just going forward with, I know that this next generation, we could perhaps make a difference if we start planting seeds today, especially through education. So that's the whole focus of Kinship Market and Kinship Chocolate is to focus on education and what we can do to, uh, to through technology, through young, bright minds, uh, sharing resources to uh, perhaps make change as we go forward into the, uh, the next generation. Um, as a disclaimer, I want to say that it's really easy to see the injustice when it's outside of your own context. So I don't want to sound like Uganda is somehow um, unjust or Ugandans are innately unjust. That I don't believe that. But I believe when you're out of your context, you can see it really clearly. Mm. Um, so in our experiences in Uganda, um, I mean, every time we get pulled over by the traffic police, which is every time we drive out of town, <laughs> um, you know, they ask for water, which is code for um, money. And so I literally give them a water bottle. We laugh, and they let me go on because <laughs> they, they just, I just play the fool. Um, but so there's, there's little things like that. Um, but an example would be it's a little thing because we're foreigners. When I drive with my drill team, they're terrified because that's not how that plays out for them. There's real striation in power there. And things can go differently for them than it can go for us. Um, so we experience some corruption um, ourselves, but I, from our friends in Uganda, we've heard a lot more and a lot harder stories. Um, but what it comes down to, I think, is in any culture, people with power are going to take advantage if they can. Um, and so when you especially have a Western system overlaid onto what wasn't a Western culture, it can allow, I think, a lot of times for this to occur. Um, so when you put in judges and democracy over like tribal systems. Um, sometimes those just don't merge like maybe people would think. Um, so with our friends, we've heard a lot of them are pushing for more justice in their governments, um, and which has, you know, it's um, controversial. People don't want to up, like turn over this powers of um, systems of power, just what he was reading. Um, people who speak the truth are hated. And we've mm -hmm. definitely seen that where we live um, because it's upsetting to the people who are benefiting. Um, and that's the world around. Um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll add one little bit of um, kind of the official injustice <laughs> in Uganda. Um, Uganda was, I think, the first and only country so far that's implemented a social media tax. Um, and it's a flat Mac, uh, flat tax on anything, Facebook, Twitter, any of that. And um, that basically is being used to oppress um, rural peoples of Uganda um, because they are unduly burdened more than people who live in the city, have higher incomes. And people in the rural areas where we work, they, they love being connected um, to their friends and family who are in the city, um, just knowing, learning about the world. Um, and this tax is basically being used so that voices of dissent cannot be heard um, or spoken. And so, it, yeah, it, it's on all levels. Not only are there's kind of the unofficial bribes under the table, but the system itself is built to oppress. Yeah. So with the time, with a few minutes we have left, um, we, we jumped in, we just scratched the surface on some really difficult questions and some complicated barriers that exist between us and stepping outside of our cultural context, going to, to different places in the world where there are more extreme needs, there, there maybe are more extreme examples of injustice. And I don't want those to be a barrier for the person who, like all of you, has something stirring inside of them that says they want to be a part of what God's doing in the world, not just 
in their, you know, where they grew up or not here in this country, what would you say to that person who's here today and is feeling some of those things stir inside of them? What would you, if you could go back to the younger version of yourself and speak wisdom, what would you say? I'd say initially go for it, um, but that's easy to say. Um, um, from where I'm sitting now, that's easy. But I think stepping into vulnerability, being vulnerable, and um, is, is something that is very necessary because, as my our friend Brene Brown says, vulnerability doesn't or courage does not exist without vulnerability. So be be courageous, but at the same time be be okay being vulnerable. If you feel it resonating in your heart, take the step. Take the step. Brianne said in an interview we were talking, you just got to start. And, uh, and that has always resonated uh, with me. It's like we just got to keep going. So if you feel it, take the step. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. Um, I would also add where we've seen, um, where we live, we've seen a lot of the helping hurting. Um, so definitely get started, do something. But you can't stop evaluating yourself um, a lot of people, I think, sometimes get involved in social justice work because it's cool or because it meets a need within themselves. Um, and if you're ever doing it for yourself, um, it, you just can't, you'll burn out, for one, and you'll, you may be hurting people um, and not even seeing it. So the vulnerability, the humility, to keep looking at yourself and saying, am I, am I doing this out of love for someone else or so that I feel like I'm helping? Um, and you constantly have to ask yourself that. That's not like a check the list, you know, and then keep, get going. It's like a daily question, so. Yeah, and I think I would second that for sure. And um, the only thing I would add is something that's been important for me is really developing a vision of what does, what does success look like, what does, um, you know, re- something deeper, more, deeper than a plan, not specific, but just kind of what, like, ask God to put something in your heart of, like, this is this is what you want me to do. This is the, the view, the life, um, the world changed um, that you want to see. And um, really focus on that, kind of begin with the end in mind or, you know, with that vision in mind. We could talk for hours, but we're out of time. Um, but I want to make sure that you guys know that they've agreed to, to be around afterwards. So if you, if there, if you're a person who's uh, has questions or something stirring inside of you that's interested in knowing more about this work or their experience, uh, Tom and Brienne are going to be out. They have a table. They have chocolate. They have chocolate, so you should stop. They have samples, too. So uh, see some of the goods that they're bringing from Guatemala and, uh, and talk with them about their work. Uh, ask questions. Jesse and Rachel are going to be upstairs in uh, the kids' area. So as soon as the kids clear out, they're going to be up there and just create some space and time to talk about their work in Uganda. I hope some of you will take some time, get some chocolate, buy some things from Tom, and then head upstairs afterwards. But let's thank them for being here today and for being with us. Thank you guys for being here. I'll let you guys head on down. I would say, you know, the, a great tangible next step, a lot of the things that came out of this conversation are things that Norton and I have been talking about since the beginning if we, as we've talked about what's New Denver's place in the world. You know, we, when we talk about uh, our, our vision, it's, it's new lives. It begins in this room that our lives are changed. A new Denver that our neighbors would be changed by the good news that we've been impacted by, but also a new world. And so we have this partnership with Guatemala, and we would really, I would really encourage you guys, uh, Tom and I are taking a trip in August, uh, and we really see this as an opportunity to have people's eyes open to what God is doing in the world. These are pretty low-bar trips we, we, in terms of like 
they're not going to ask you to do something that's that's crazy outside your comfort zone. We really want this to be something that's beneficial so that people can begin to get on that road, that, that on-ramp of, of being a part of what God's doing in the world. So we still have a little bit of time if you're interested in signing up for our August trip, but if not, put it in the back of your brain. Next year, we'll do two more trips, and we hope you'll consider to be part of that. Uh, as we close up, let's pray that God uh, would continue to help us um, make sense and begin to take action on some of the things that we're learning as we think about justice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God of the whole world. Um, you see and know uh, every person and every culture, and you've created them so beautifully diverse, and there's so much that we have to learn and to gain when we step outside of those cultural boundaries. And there's so much that we can be richly blessed by when we encounter other people in other cultures who speak different language, a different language, who, who share our faith. And so, God, as, as we think about the work that Jesse and Rachel and Tom and Brianne are doing, um, we're so grateful for their courage to step into uncertainty and to begin following you uh, in the work that you're doing to bring justice to other cultures and other places. We pray that you would continue to give them clarity and vision and a picture of what's ahead, that they would know the steps that they are to take next as they continue this journey. And I pray for the person who's here today, God, that is maybe stirred by that and has never thought about going anywhere overseas except for vacation, but that they would think about going to a place or, or, or engaging in your mission in the world in a way that maybe they never have before, that, that that seed would be planted today and that your spirit would water it and it would begin to take fruit and that you would lead and guide each one of us to know and to understand the part that you have for us to play in your global story. And we pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen. <clears throat>